Hey there! Welcome back to another episode of QBCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. My name is Elise Leli, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Brittany Nisbet. I use she and her pronouns. And I'm reminding you that we are the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. Yeah, and I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns. In this episode, we are going to talk about something I'm very passionate about, climate justice. We are hoping to cover topics you may have always wondered but were afraid to ask, such as what exactly is a just transition or a green economy? As well, we will be chatting about the movie Don't Look Up, and FYI, there will be spoilers, so just a heads up if you haven't (laughs) watched it yet. Uh, We will also discuss what work QP National and QP Ontario is doing when it comes to climate justice. It's a packed episode, so let's jump in. You're listening to episode 9 of the QP cast, 2022, the dumpster is burning, but so is the planet. love the title of this podcast, uh, 2022, the dumpster is burning, but so is the planet. And uh, shout out to OSBCU President Laura Walton for actually helping to come up with it. And, and Happy New Year to both of you, uh, Brittany and Elise. Yeah, thanks. Happy New Year to you guys too. Um, I cannot believe that it's 2022 already. And I know I've said this before on the podcast, but like I can't, be- I feel like the last two years have been the longest, but then also the shortest all at the same time. I totally agree. And Happy New Year to both you, Tiffany, Brittany, and everyone listening in today. Did you folks all enjoy your holidays? Uh, Tiffany could go first. <laughs> okay. I know Brittany had some stuff going on over the holidays. I'm sure every, so many people have, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it was good. I had a chance to travel before um, Omicron really started uh, picking up speed, I guess, to where did the, before the wave really progressed to where mm-hmm. it is right now at our time of recording. So I was lucky to see a few people that I haven't seen in two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my daughter Zoe was able to meet some people. Um, definitely. Nice. Yeah, so it was good. Yeah. And definitely had time to binge watch uh, Netflix and other stuff, too. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so two days before Christmas Day, uh, Matthew was exposed to someone who tested positive for COVID-19. So Matthew and I canceled all of our Christmas plans with everyone. Oh. Um, oh, no. We didn't see anybody. And then on Boxing Day, he became symptomatic and he tested positive oh. on the 27th. Um, by some miracle, and we have literally no idea how this happened, by some miracle, I didn't contract COVID. I was completely like zero symptoms. I felt 100% normal, 100% fine. I had a PCR done on December 30th. So by that point, I had been exposed for about five days, maybe even longer, six days or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tested negative. So, yeah, so we're not sure, but, and just so everyone knows, like, Matthew is totally fine now. He is okay. Um, He, you know, he was feeling really crummy, but it was kind of nice that neither of us had to work anyways because we both had holidays. So not exactly how I want to, yeah, so it's not exactly how I want to spend my holiday, but we had a ton of downtime, spent a lot of time with the kittens and lots of 
ordering out for food, ate a lot of junk food. <laughs> and like <laughs> Tiffany, we watched a ton of uh, a ton of Netflix, a ton of TV, played a ton of video games. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How was I'm yours? That it was. It was good. It was it was relaxing. I unfortunately didn't get to see too many of my friends and family just because, as Tiffany mentioned, Omicron really picked up speed um, in December. So it was just safer for us to just mm-hmm. um, stay at home rather than going mm-hmm. out and visiting a bunch of people. Totally. Um, but it was still very relaxing just hanging out at home. And we also binge watch a lot of Netflix as well. <laughs> um, did either of you end up watching uh, Don't Look Up? Yeah. Yeah. So Matthew yeah. and I definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Matthew and I definitely watched it because uh, we were isolating. We had nothing else to do. And and uh, right. the director, Adam McKay, he did the movie The Big Short, um, which was a movie that Matthew enjoyed and I enjoyed. So we just thought like, oh, look, it's an Adam McKay movie. And then we saw like the packed cast and we were like, oh, you know, we should, you know, give us a try. <laughs> um, we had heard like a few comments and reviews. I think we started it like two or three days after it had come out. So, yeah, we, we definitely did watch it. But, uh, and Tiffany, nice. you said you watched it too? Yeah, yeah. So I I want to say, I think it came out on Christmas. I might have watched it actually like that night after Zoe went to bed. Um, I think Rory and I watched it. And um, I hadn't really heard a lot about it ahead of time. Uh, but I know there's been a lot of thoughts about it since then. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I did see ahead of time was the table reading on Zoom with, like, the packed cast. And Meryl Mm -hmm. Streep was responding to the script and how it spoke to her and about how people inherently know right now bad things are happening, possibly life-ending things. But, you know, when she's personally faced with it, she just thinks, oh, what can I do? Oh, look, another season of Real Housewives is on. And then just turns on the TV (laughs) rather than being faced with, you know, our possible extinction, Mm. um, which I totally got. I'm a fan of the Real Housewives franchise (laughs) as escapism, but it's overwhelming. So I think that, and I want to just highlight again that there's probably going to be spoilers here. So don't come at us saying we ruined the movie for you. (laughs) We've given given ample, we've given ample heads up. Uh, So did you enjoy it, Brittany? So like, as a movie, I enjoyed it. I have always loved Leonardo DiCaprio because I feel like I grew up with him, you know, Titanic, whatever. Oh, yeah. There was totally room for him on that door. Oh. In Titanic. <laughs> yes, there was. But that's another that's a debate. That's for Titanic, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> Too many spoilers today. Just yeah. don't watch it. Just, just hopefully you've watched all the things before you listen to us. But uh, yeah, so like, you know, I've always liked him. I've always enjoyed him. Even like Shutter Island, I've always thought he does a good job in any, 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 any movie he's played in that I have watched. I've enjoyed him. And then um, it was nice to see Jennifer Lawrence back again. Uh, haven't seen her in a long time. So it was really like, I really wanted to see her. And then, you know, Meryl Streep and, you know, it's just such a packed cast. So we thought, you know what, like, let's watch it. And like, I really enjoyed it as a movie. But, there's always a but, like, I felt really uncomfortable with the ending. Like, I just, I felt very unsettled, and I feel like perhaps I shouldn't have watched it quite so late at night, because I had a hard time sleeping that night. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I had nothing but time, so I slept in the next day. It's really not a big deal. But, like, just the way things have been handled, I I am scared that something very similar to this would happen. Mm -hmm. So, what about Mm -hmm. you, Elise? What did you think? 
Yeah, my family and I actually watched it on Christmas Day. Maybe not the best Christmas movie, um, <laughs> but it was still uh, really refreshing to see. And I thought it was really great the way that it really mirrors what's happening in our society right now in terms of government that's putting profit over people and media that really focuses on celebrity relationships over major issues that are impacting everyone. And like you, Brittany, I did find the ending gloomy, um, but I guess it's also kind of like realistic right now with what we're seeing where there's so many people who are dying from preventable causes. Um, but a part of me does wish there were two endings. Mm-hmm. And folks may remember back in the time of DVDs, some films actually had alternate endings that you could watch. And my apologies to Jen Z and anyone else who may have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but I think it would be really great if there was an alternate ending that kind of shows like media, labor unions, community organizations, and other progressive groups that come together and fight back against the Meryl Streep administration and actually win. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has been super gloomy. So for me, it would be nice to have a movie that kind of like inspires hope and change. But again, I do guess it is a very realistic ending. Yeah, I agree. That's what one of my... I was talking about with some friends and I said, oh man, it's so, it's, it was, yeah, I had a hard time falling asleep afterwards. It was just like so sad how it ended. Um, and also so scare, like scary that this is what, you know, the billionaires are already planning for mm-hmm. when they're doing space travel already and oh, stuff like that. Yeah. So like, are they already preparing to like leave this planet in total, like, you know, just like extinction. Um, but some of my friends were like, well, it's good. People need to see that. Like, mm-hmm. it's the hard truth. So people need to, to see that. Um, and I mean, it makes it so hard to individually fathom how we can personally address it. Um, and, and so when people see this and they see people, even celebrities trying to address it, like Ariana Grande's character, for example, and writing songs about it and having big concerts, and then it still goes down the way it goes down, all because of uh, capitalism and like the solutions have to be market, you know, market-based. Like, I just hope that uh, people who maybe haven't turned their minds to climate justice see this movie and start doing more research beyond beyond the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I know we've both, like all three of us have kind of said, you know, like we, like I kind of had a little bit of an, an impression of what it was going to be about based on some reviews. We waited a couple of days, but both of you said that you've watched it like pretty much Christmas Day. So I don't know if you had seen quite a bit of discussion at that point. But um, one of the like good debates that I saw or conversations that I saw was that a lot of people were talking about how on the nose this movie really is. And that's actually giving it mixed reviews. Um, some people say that it needs to be on the nose like this to get its points across, but others disagree and they say that it wasn't necessary. Um, there's also discussion about, you know, it's a satire movie and, and that kind of gets tied into this. So I, I, I don't know. What do you two think? Do you think that it was, I don't know, the fact that it was so on the nose, like, was that, did we need it to be like that or should it not have been so right in our faces? I think it's helpful if it is right on the nose because I think there's definitely like some people who might not have understood every like reference. I mean, I'm sure there's probably references that I might not have even Mm -hmm. got when watching it. So I think it is kind of helpful when things are just like very direct um, because then people can make comparisons easier Mm -hmm. and not everyone is familiar. I mean, a lot of folks have been talking about climate justice over the last few years, um, but there's still a lot of people who still don't know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's people who don't think it's real. 
right? So yeah. they think that they think that well, they don't think climate, you know, that there's a climate emergency looming. They just think this is weather patterns and this is what happens. So people like that, of course, are going to give it negative reviews or not want to see it. Or or if you even see similarities between don't look up in the pandemic and how that's been handled by governments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also people, you know, who like the, yeah, very, like who aren't looking up, who are denying what's happening, um, even though science is telling us otherwise. So I think, you know, when you have people like that, they're going to not want to see the movie or say, you know, say it was, um, you know, a bomb or not, you know, not interesting and that kind of stuff. So, um, and the media reflects that, you know, there's a percentage of their viewership that have that point of view, right? So they try to like be what they like I don't know unbiased or have both sides mm-hmm. and that's the whole point of the movie is that there really isn't another side it's like very clear that that a meteor is like hurtling towards them so that's like the scientific truth yeah there was actually like so while uh we were you know we were like pre-discussing this because we thought like let's you know we should probably talk about it like while we we're pre-discussing it I was kind of looking up a little bit and uh um, a person by the name of Zahish Alim was they're an MSNBC opinion columnist. They had a uh, they they're a critic on this movie and there it was an opinion piece. And so they actually said one of the quotes from what they said is uh, the reality is that climate change has been a media challenge for reasons that are more complex and harder to indict someone for than the idea that speaking truthfully and bad things is bad for business. One issue is that climate change involves gradual and systematic changes. There is no one clear villain. There is no single solution. And developments are slow enough that outside of exceptionally catastrophic natural disasters, it can be hard to chronicle change in a gripping way. And that makes the issue unlike crises in politics, crime or business, for example. So I don't know. I It, it did get a lot of critical reviews and a lot of hate on the Internet. Um, but I, I think I agree with you both. I feel like we had to make it, it had to be on the nose because, you know, like you said, at least there were probably things that you missed. You know, I, I know that for some reason I just didn't get it. Like when they were wearing those hats near closer to like the middle of the movie, the like ball caps that looked like the, um, the mega hats. I, I didn't even notice that in the movie. I just kind of like realized it was familiar, but didn't notice why I thought it was so familiar. So I feel like we, we really did need something so on the nose uh like this because like to be honest we're all still talking about it it's been out for almost a month now we're all still talking about it so it definitely Mm -hmm. did something if it's been there's been this much discussion on it Mm -hmm. and elise had a good point there was some gaps for sure Mm -hmm. like unions weren't uh, well there was the one part where it says we believe in the jobs that this will bring which would totally be white working class in the United States saying that, but, you know, unions have been trying, you know, really hard to get this conversation going with the membership. And um, I'm just going to kind of pivot mm-hmm. now into into just transition stuff and um, and uh, use that, that great quote that you had, Brittany, to kind of uh, go into the next part of our discussion, which, um, you know, we hear the term just transition thrown around and many assumptions being made that, that our members are familiar with that term, familiar with the climate justice movement familiar with what unions are suggesting needs to be done but i think it would be worthwhile to just discuss that term and what it means you know to green the economy uh what do you what do you two think you could go first elise <laughs> <laughs> yeah like from what i've researched um at face value a dress transition is a vision-led unifying and place-based set of principles processes and practices that build economic and political power to shift from an extractive economy to a regenerative economy or beyond 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there are various ways of approaching it. Um, so like we know what works in Southern Ontario won't necessarily work in Northern Ontario, for example, or in Alberta, for mm-hmm. example. But um, and in the newly adopted QP National Environment Policy, there's actually a definition in there. So um, and I know that QP members aren't just like <laughs> this policy in their free time. So I'll, I'll read it out loud. It says a just transition strategy is an environmental and economic program aimed at helping workers retain work as the economy shifts to greener ways of working. Just transition is an internationally recognized trade union priority. It has been enshrined as a principle, for example, in the United Nations Framework Agreement on Climate Change negotiated in 2015, the Paris Climate Agreement. Mm -hmm. And in order for the transition to be truly just, it must not leave behind workers or communities, especially historically oppressed communities. Um, And like I said, just transition strategies were first forged by labor unions and environmental justice groups and rooted in low income communities and BIPOC communities who saw the need to phase out the pollution industries that were harming workers, community health and the planet. But in the same time, provide pathways for workers to transition to other jobs, Mm -hmm. which unions can assist with. So um, but it's not it it sounds simple, but Mm -hmm. it isn't. And there's lots of competing interests. Yeah. And uh, I, I that's. When you would ask, like, what do we think a just transition is, is my, in my mind, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, we're going to transition into a greener economy, but, like, everyone is going to be included in that. And, and how is that going to work? So, you know, I'm just going to use Matthew as an example who works on auto in the auto industry. You know, they're going to be making green vehicles. How is his job going to be changing? And how is he going to be included in that change? And... Uh, you actually, you shared some articles that I found really interesting, and one quote in particular from the 2018 working paper, Trade Unions and Just Transition, The Search for Transformative Politics, um, stands out uh, distinguishing between two distinct conceptions of just transition that have really shaped trade union debates. So one focused essentially on workers alone, and then there's a broader conception focused on the need for radical social and ecological, ecological transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and economic transformation. We have to make sure that we're building a visionary economy that is very different than the one that we're in right now. And if we don't, we can't expect much a different outcome than don't yeah. look up. Yeah, exactly. And that's the first thing people will say, well, that's not that's not possible because we're in a capitalist economy right now. And we just can remind them of World War II. Um, we were able to quickly pivot to manufacture supplies and artillery for war. Mm-hmm. With um, government spending, like in Oshawa, you know, their mm-hmm. the plant was totally retooled for a national project to, you know, make uh, supplies to fight the mm-hmm. war. Um, and so for a just transition, we would need the same response from the government, nationalization and public ownership. And it's what we should have been seeing with this pandemic, mm-hmm. too. Like we saw it a little bit in Oshawa, the, but it wasn't the government that forced GM to make the surgical masks. It was GM that was like, oh, How about we do this? And it was after like a bunch of pressure that we've talked about in previous podcasts. But there's a lot of, you know, empty plants and factories that could have easily been retooled to make desperately needed N95 masks. Could you imagine if right now we're able to access free N95 masks that were manufactured here in Canada? And rapid testing, right? Like if they were just made here free, freely available. So like we're learning from the pandemic how to respond to emergency. And unfortunately, we're not doing a very good job as um, not us personally, yes. but like our government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, definitely. And there there are so many like moving pieces when it comes to a just transition. So, Tiffany, what is QP's position on it? 
Sure. So there was that uh, art, the definition in the um, policy that's pretty new, and um, uh, the policy itself is new, mm-hmm. I should say. QP's support of um, climate justice is not new. Um, and QP's called on governments and industry to cut greenhouse gases and limit planetary warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, and there was a message on Earth Day that uh, QP National put out that said that QP's been, you know, long committed to the principle of a just transition, um, you know, which we've just said means the cost of transitioning to a more sustainable economy um, is shared by everyone, but that the government would, you know, lead it in a lot of ways is what my little caveat <laughs> that would be. Uh, workers mm-hmm. who are the most affected should be supported in the transition with training, compensation, job opportunities, and other supports. Um, and communities should be supported in developing alternative economic strategies, which we've talked mm-hmm. about. And workers and communities must have input in these decisions about their future. So yes, we're asking for, you know, nationalization or public ownership, but also with with community and worker input. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that statement goes on to say part of the solution in a just transition is the Green Economy Network's GEN, uh, One Million Climate Jobs Campaign. And QP National is a member of GEN, which is a coalition of labor unions, environmental groups, and social justice organizations. QP has been a key partner in GEN's climate jobs campaign, which shows how the public sector can create good jobs that will reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by investing in public transportation, renewable energy, and energy efficiency retrofits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually... Um... I actually remember hearing a bit about this at a convention under the QP National Environment Committee report. There were a few resolutions, but right before convention, there was an email that went out to QP locals about QP adopting a new environmental policy. And Tiffany, I know you're on that Environment Committee, so I'll let you talk about it. Environment Committee, what? (laughs) Yeah, so um, just really quick, uh, because we talked a bit about it already, but the policy calls for new ways of working and living based on public renewable sources of energy and an end to fossil fuels. It also highlights the need for strong just transition programs enshrined in federal legislation to support and uplift workers and recognizes that climate change impacts racialized communities even more aggressively. Yeah, and we encourage all QP members to read the policy and consider what changes you can make in your local, your workplace, and in your community. Your local is also invited to sign the QP Climate Change Emergency Declaration and to act on the steps outlined in the declaration. Local unions that sign the Environmental Declaration are asked to email the QP National Office at en. V-I-R-O at QP.ca. And uh, we're going to go back to convention again. (laughs) So I know delegates also passed a resolution on the Climate Action Plan, and that was actually submitted by QP Ontario. And uh, Tiffany hit the button first. Well, not I don't know if you were first, (laughs) but I remember you were very quick. You were first. I thought so. So She hit the button first, (laughs) so you got to speak to it. Yeah, I think I've been the first speaker on everything that I've mentioned. <laughs> I must, like I said, I got to go really do. Yeah, we've got, I've got to go quick. <laughs> so yeah, it was a very straightforward resolution. Um, QP National will create a climate emergency action plan identifying timelines, deliverables, and who is assigned. And so that's the resolution right there. That there's going to be a plan that it's very clear and, and the deliverables are clear. And we're excited about this because QP is Canada's largest union. And this will be much needed. But as we've discussed, we can't do this alone. Uh, 
COP26 wrapped up in November. That's a giant event um, with uh, governments from all over the world talking about how they're going to, you know, fix the planet, essentially, or save us. And unfortunately, it was a milk and toast uh, response from governments, including Canada and Justin Trudeau. Mm. So um, we know that, you know, the cutting waste, bolstering, recycling, and composting programs all grow good jobs. So we're in CUPE, like, when it comes to the jobs... We have green jobs. A lot mm-hmm. of our jobs are already just like by virtue of what we do, but they can also be altered to cut emissions. Um, and and so that was there was a, another summit happening during COP twenty six, a people summit that were discussing things like that with unions, environmental groups, and and oh. grassroots groups. So so yeah. So while COP twenty six under delivered um, in stemming the phase out of coal and fossil fuels that are at the root of the climate crisis. It did inspire workers and other social justice uh, and climate activists to invest their energy toward real solutions. So that that came out of it, at least. Yeah. And I think there were some like rallies, like huge rallies that happened mm-hmm. outside of it as well. Um, and if you are a QB member in Ontario and you feel called to action after listening to this podcast, is there a way for QB members to get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So the QP Ontario board has voted to change the name of the environmental working group, which people may not have known existed, um, to the climate justice working group. And we'll be accepting applications for members uh, to join that group very soon. So I would say the quickest way to find out about when the applications are out is um, to check QP Ontario social media for that. That is so exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I I think I know a few people actually who will be interested. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a constitutional amendment around solidifying this group at the next QP Ontario convention. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And uh, thinking of... Bob Saget, who sadly recently passed away um, because I wanted to say, uh, you got it, dude, because Michelle (laughs) Nicholhouse would say that all the time, but rest in peace to Bob Saget. And uh, yeah, but yeah, keep the Ontario Convention, there will be a constitutional amendment about uh, this working group because it's not currently in uh, the Constitution. Um, And just a reminder to folks, keep the Ontario Convention as a break. Uh, The recording of this podcast is early because we have a provincial election coming up. Um, that is a good reminder. Yeah, because yeah. that means deadlines mm-hmm. are sooner for things like resolutions. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so while uh, so while we were talking about like the outline of this episode, I uh, I had started looking at the NDP's Green New Democratic Deal. And have either of you read it, or are you familiar with it? Yeah, I was actually when we were talking about this podcast, and folks had mentioned it. Um, I did take it to ch- take time to actually go through and read it. Mm-hmm. And we had a forum in Durham Region a few years ago when this plan was either launched or they were getting information from the community about it. I don't know, it was before the pandemic, so everything's a blur, but it was really, really well received. It was back when things were in person um, and it was a packed uh, townhouse. I think we call those the good old days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so for those of you who who aren't familiar with it, it is twenty six pages long. Uh, so it is quite the read. But like Elise, you know, she looked into it and took a read through it. And I really encourage you all to check it out if you haven't. Um, so I'm just gonna like summarize it super quickly and easily. 
So through the plan, the commitments that the NDP have are to bring Ontario to net zero emissions, to transform transportation, to um, change how we build, so retrofit programs. Uh, They have guaranteed jobs, transition our electricity supply, protect our water and green spaces, cut down waste, protect people's health, uh, foster climate change resilience. And then there's also three core values. So the first one is equity. The second is affordability. And the third one is reconciliation. Personally, I read through it and I really liked the whole plan. But the one thing that stuck out to me was the part about cutting down on waste. Um, So in school, we were always taught reduce, reuse and recycle. But I had always found that there was an emphasis on recycle and especially now like that we're all talking about climate change and what can we do as individuals you know i noticed like we we really focus a lot on the recycling portion and not so much about the reducing and the reusing portion and i'm not sure like it did either of you feel that way or feel similar yeah i've always felt that way too and i also think there's just such a huge emphasis on what we can do individually mm-hmm. to save waste or fight back against climate change but hardly there's any discussion about mass government intervention mm-hmm. and what mega corporations could be doing to reduce waste and fight climate change mm-hmm. and i for example i think it's ridiculous that like grocery stores throw out and waste so much food all of the time meanwhile there are so many people that go hungry every single that day Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tiffany? <laughs> well, I have lots of thoughts on this, <laughs> but uh, so absolutely agree that there's so much we can do to reduce and reuse individually. But like you said, Elise, even if we are like all individually doing this, um, our part like to, to reduce, reuse, recycle, it wouldn't put a dent in corporate emissions. And I know when we were prepping for this, I shared a tweet uh, with you two on this when, when mm-hmm. CNN tweeted out, scared by the new report on climate change, here's what you can do to help eat less meat, about 30%, swap your car or plane ride for a bus or train, and use a a smart thermostat in your home. Um, So that was CNN's tweet, which is problematic for lots of reasons. Uh, (laughs) Because there's, you know, anyway. Um, But Adam H. Johnson, a writer from New York, responded, reminder that 100 corporations are responsible for 71% of global greenhouse gas emissions and presenting the crisis as a moral failing on the part of individuals without noting this fact is journalistic malpractice. So it's a systemic issue, much like the pandemic, um, and people you know, should take personal responsibility, definitely. And I'm, I'm glad that the, um, but, you know, the reason why I'm glad to see that the NDP has the new, um, the green new democratic deal is that there's really no way for individuals to recycle our way out of this climate emergency, but <clears throat> it's a systemic issue. But of course we can take, you know, steps individually mm-hmm. to help. Uh, for example, I tried to get all of Zoe's clothing uh, used um, and then participate in consignment because babies grow so quickly mm-hmm. and they only wear the clothes. So I don't want to contribute to, um, you know, more landfills without the clothing. And Brittany, I know you've been doing a lot in this area, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the last two years, actually, I've been uh, trying to reduce my waste. And uh, how it happened was a neighbor friend of mine. She uh, she is very passionate about climate justice and cutting down waste and being a lot more waste free. And she's taught me a lot. And I remember going over to her house one day and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I feel good because I'm using a natural deodorant. And then she's like, what kind of packaging is that natural deodorant coming in? And she was like, is it plastic? And I said, oh, yeah, it is. And she said, 
you're not actually like that's not doing anything she's like it's just plastic it's just getting recycled again it's not actually going to break down properly and and that for some reason like when she said and she said it in a very polite like super nice like way for me to be like a really good teachable moment and I was like it just hit me and I was like oh I really need to like try and do some more so since then um you know, I've leaned on her to help me learn and I've done my own looking into things. And so I've been buying a lot of like my body care products from refilleries. And there are a couple local Mm -hmm. to me that I am lucky that I have. And I'll bring my own jars for them to refill as opposed to just having like another plastic reusable from a store. Um, Matthew, last year for Christmas, he bought me a safety razor. So it's made of metal. So I only need to change out the blade cartridges, not the whole thing. So there's no plastic at all. Um, I've also changed from using disposable period products to reusables. Um, so that might look like, wow. uh, yeah, so that might look like, you know, like a, uh, like a cup, like a diva cup or, um, mm-hmm. you know, NYX sells, you know, actual leak proof underwear. So I've been utilizing those. Um, I'm also, like you said, Zoe, uh, you're, uh, Tiffany, that you buy all of Zoe's clothing used. I'm a huge thrifter. I would much mm-hmm. rather thrift my clothing or mend my clothing as opposed to just buy brand new when my things are, you know, becoming a little old. Um, I try not to feed into fast fashion because the companies that create the fast fashion uh, clothing, you know, it it's actually really harmful for the environment and they're not using, mm-hmm. you know, proper things. Not to mention they're not even paying the workers properly, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah, I just, yeah, we could talk about this for hours. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to use cloth napkins and trying to use cloth, cloth tith shoes. I even have a reusable ear swab, which wow. sounds gross, but I promise <laughs> <Yeah>. it's not. <laughs> Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not gross. I promise. It's from a company called Last Tissue. It's actually really neat. And then right before the pandemic began, right now it's a little touch and go, but when the, right before it began, I was bringing my own coffee cup to places if I wanted to take out coffee. So then I wasn't utilizing, you know, their coffee cups that would just get thrown away. So these are really small steps uh, that I've taken just to, to be a little bit more sustainable. That's awesome. Um, Some things that I've like looked into is that sometimes like buying the reusable items can sometimes be a bit more expensive Mm -hmm. than um, buying things that are like single use. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it is really great for if people can afford to buy reusable items if they can. Um, So like I've tried, like I have like a reusable water bottle and I recently bought these like reusable like Ziploc bags. Um, And I also really like thrifting a lot as well. Um, So those are some things I do, but I do want to mention that it is important to note that some people can actually afford to do go that route yeah. no i'm absolutely yeah, my glad friend, that you brought that up Sorry, yeah Tiffany. yeah like and i know you did it over time Brittany. it's yeah. not like you just did it like in one one paycheck no. like <laughs> doing all that stuff but uh and and yeah i had a friend who made me you know those beeswax wraps and i was so oh, thankful because it was a great gift and it was yeah. awesome those are actually really expensive yeah. right so yeah and they mm-hmm. also yeah. are great because <laughs> when they stop working i don't know if either of you are interested in this or if our listeners are interested but when the, the eventually the wax will wear away and they won't become usable anymore you can use them for about a year year and a half um but when they stop okay. becoming uh, usable or unusable what you can actually do is you can cut them and if any of you garden you can actually use them to like tie your um like tomatoes for example to a steak so that mm-hmm. when they're so you know they oh. don't tip over so you can use that oh, yeah nice. and they're also biodegradable. that's a really cool hack thank you yes <laughs> you should make a tiktok with all of your reusable like life hacks that you just mentioned oh gosh mm-hmm. maybe 
maybe yeah it's just and and no like I'm glad at least that you brought up you know that it is expensive it absolutely is and I I, yeah I have done it over a really long period of time and there are things that I I plan to do um so like each year I try to make a couple easy changes once that I conclude into like my day-to-day living so it's not so overwhelming um so like this year Matthew and I are switching to um laundry pods that we buy from a refillery um the pods are from a company called the unscented company um so they're all clean they're natural they're plastic free and then the next thing i'm looking into is actually toilet paper um made from a company called who gives a crap and it's a really great company (laughs) they you know they have really good ways on like how they pay their employees and it's actually bamboo so it's a lot more like better for the planet and getting better for yourself i think they keep showing up on my on my ads really on my Instagram, I think so, or a similar company. Yeah, I keep seeing toilet paper on my. I mean, ads online. Oh, I keep seeing um, like you mentioned, it's bamboo. I keep seeing bamboo um, paper towel oh, cool. that they're yeah. selling it. That you can actually mm-hmm. like wash it after you use oh, it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with the election coming up in June, just to switch pace, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that um, the climate crisis will be a really hot topic, quite literally, <laughs> and not just good, reduction good of waste. Good. Um, the whole platform on the Green New Democratic Deal and climate change. Yeah, you're totally right, Elise. And a lot of times people think the Green Party, you know, has a monopoly on this. But actually, a lot of times when you look at the NDP's um, platforms on this, both federally and and provincially in Ontario, um, it's very progressive uh, as far as tackling Mm -hmm. uh, climate change. And we saw it discussed at length during the debates for the federal election last year. So it will definitely be a huge provincial issue. Yeah, but it, it really is something like in all seriousness, it is something that we really need to be talking about and planning for, because like I have to admit, I'm scared for my future and my family's future, because what will the world look like in 10 years? What will it look like in the 30 years? You know, what'll look, what will it look like in 100 years? And and personally, mm-hmm. I, I need to see something as in-depth as the NDP's Green New Deal because I know when an NDP government is elected that my family will be okay because there is a plan and it is achievable and it does include everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really liked that the Green New Democratic Deal also includes reconciliation and working with Indigenous people, mm-hmm. unlike what's happening with the BC NDP right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also really important that when we talk about climate and environmental justice, that we place a major emphasis on environmental racism, mm-hmm. which often gets swept under the rug, yep. especially by a lot of often white climate justice activists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Benjamin Chavez, a black civil rights leader from the United States in 1982, um, is known as being as the person who coined the term environmental racism. And they define the term as racial discrimination in environmental policymaking, the enforcement of regulations and laws, the deliberate targeting of communities of color for toxic Mm. waste facilities, the official sanctioning of the life-threatening presence of poisons and pollutants in our communities, and the history of excluding people of color from leadership and ecology movements. Mm -hmm. I'll also add that environmental racism is a result of the ongoing process of colonization here in Canada as well. Yes, definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely. And examples of environmental racism that we see in Canada include like BIPOC workers, especially migrant workers in low wage paying jobs that are experiencing high levels of exposure to toxic toxic chemicals in the workplace, hazardous pollution sites near BIPOC communities, you know, the drinking water advisories in indigenous communities and reserves and 
so much more. And we we could have done an entire whole other episode diving into environmental racism, and maybe we should. Um, and environmental yeah, racism is such an angering issue as it is devastated. It has devastating impacts on the health and well-being of BIPOC communities who play such an important role in our society. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, well said earlier, Elise, and you're definitely right, Brittany. And, um, you know, being from Flint, Michigan originally, I know um, water issues mm-hmm. uh, firsthand. They've impacted my family firsthand, and we know that Flint is uh, largely, you know, racialized community in, in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely devastating um, when you don't have access to clean water. Access to clean water is most mm-hmm. definitely a human right. Uh, are either of you familiar with Indigenous rights and climate and water activist Autumn Peltier? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought you two would know who she is. I think we talked about yes. her before, maybe in the podcast. Uh, for those who don't know, Autumn Peltier is an Anishinaabe activist from the Wikmukong First Nation. In 2019, she was named Chief Water Commissioner for the Anishinaabek Nation. She's also well known for addressing world leaders at the UN General mm-hmm. Assembly and for confronting Justin Trudeau mm-hmm. on his still broken promise on ending the drinking water advisories in Indigenous communities and reserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so shameful that so many Indigenous communities still do not have access to clean drinking water. We need to use water every single day to survive. We use water to shower, to cook, to brush our teeth, to drink to keep us hydrated, and of course to wash our hands. And since we are in a pandemic, we know how important hygiene and sanitization is. And if people don't have access to clean water, it makes sanitization incredibly hard, if not impossible. I went on the uh, Canadian government's website and they're saying that they still have 37 long-term drinking water advisories in the country, and a majority of those are actually in Ontario. That is so shameful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to quote Autumn Peltier from an article from the Sudbury Star, she said, if water advisories like this were to happen in a place like Ottawa, just think about how fast the government would work to get clean drinking water again. It would probably be done in less than a week. Yes, Autumn is correct. And this really highlights why environmental racism is real, because if drinking water advisories were happening in communities that weren't predominantly working class people or black, indigenous and racialized people, then this issue would be solved in no time. Oh, absolutely. Agreed. Um, So I'm sure at this point folks are (laughs) wondering what they can actually do to take action. So as Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, your local is invited to sign the QB Climate Change Emergency Declaration. But we also want to encourage folks who are lucky enough to have a pension to also do some research on what corporations or companies your pensions are invested in. Are they invested in the fossil fuel industry that is continuing to pollute the planet? Or is it invested in clean Mm. renewable energy? Folks are welcome to contact your local or your QB national rep and find out and work to make a change in what your pension is invested in. That is such a good point. And speaking of divesting from fossil fuels, another great organization to get involved in is 350.org, so 350.org. They describe themselves as an international movement of ordinary people working to end the age of fossil fuels and build a world of community-led renewable energy for all. And what I love about 350.org is that they support grassroots movements, including climate strikes, petition deliveries, and actions all around the world. The uh, international perspective is really important because a lot of waste is produced in North America, and then it's actually sent overseas, which has a huge impact on the international community. Um, So to get involved in 350.org, you can visit their website, 350.org, and fill out your name and contact info in their sign-up form. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I grew up, we actually received Canada's garbage every day uh, in Flint. Oh, but, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> 350.org is an amazing organization. And another very inspiring uh, youth activist group that folks can get involved with or support is Fridays for Future. Fridays for Future is a youth-led global climate strike movement that started in August 2018, when then-15-year-old Greta Thunberg began a school strike for climate action that has now turned into a global mu- movement. And there are Fridays for Futures chapters all around the world, including in Canada, including in Ontario. Um, I know there's lots of uh, active chapters, uh, including one in Durham region who you can follow on Instagram at Climate Justice Durham. Um, They've coordinated climate crisis actions on Fridays, which include marches, rallies, and more. And what's cool about Fridays for Future is that they organize locally, but also globally. Their global climate strikes have really taken the entire world by storm, and it's inspiring learning from these young activists. Um, And you can find out more at www.fridaysforfuture.org. Yeah, both 350.org and Fridays for Future are incredibly inspiring organizations that folks can get involved with. And lastly, we also encourage folks to reach out and support the Black, Indigenous, and racialized activist groups in your own community that are also working to fight for climate and environmental justice. Mm -hmm. And that wraps up our conversation on climate justice. And folks are welcome to check out all of the links in our show notes for more information and for ways to get involved. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the QP Cast. We want to take a moment to thank all of the QP Ontario staff involved with this episode. Without them, this podcast definitely would not exist. If you have future podcast ideas or any feedback, please send them to info at qp.on.ca. We also want to thank our fantastic producer, Mohamed Akbar, for being the edit master. This podcast would not sound as great as it does without his talents. And we also want to let our listeners know some really exciting news. We we can now be found on Apple Podcasts. Yay! Yay! So, you know, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, thank you. And uh, don't forget to, you know, if you like our podcast, feel free to rate us uh, or leave a review there too. Awesome. Yeah. And on that note, we want to thank you, our listeners. It's hard to believe that this is already our ninth episode. And without your support, we would not be able to make and create this monthly podcast. And I'd like to end this particular podcast with a quote from Chico Mendez. Environmentalism without class struggle is just gardening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sending solidarity.